I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. Amy, my bata is up. Is it? (laughs) Tell me about that. My mind is busy. I've already done my vata abhyanga with the vata pacifying massage oil today. But do you ever do the thing when you have a big event coming up or maybe a vacation or a retreat where you know that you're not going to be able to spend the time doing your regular tasks and so you front load your week in preparation for that event? Yes. That's where I'm at right now. And it's for an exciting reason. The yoga therapy course that I'm taking and the clients that I have in my public classes and the blogs that I write, the things that I would do and I would normally stretch out over all seven days because I don't really have the schedule that has a structured couple of times off. I'm doing those in three days. So I'm feeling that very busy mind and overwhelm. And I know at this point that I do a lot of this to myself because I put a lot of pressure on myself to also keep the house a certain way and keep up with all the householder duties that are important to me as well. Um, And we can talk about that a little bit about how our thoughts create this overwhelm. But I definitely feel like I'm, I'm swimming in a bit of overwhelm these few days. I hear, I hear that in what you're saying. You know, you did say these are all exciting things that you're working on and things that um, fulfill you, but there's still things that need attending to, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm doing it. This is exciting. When I think about why I'm doing it, I, I feel so grateful and I get a smile on my face. So this coming week is my husband's birthday and I'm going to talk a little quieter because he's in the next room. <laughs> oh, <shh. laughs> and what he doesn't know is that I'm flying in his daughter from Toronto to surprise him. How exciting. Yes. So I know that I know, he doesn't know this, but I know that she's going to be here for a long weekend and I have a lot of plans for us. And of course, I want to be able to spend as much time with her and with them as humanly possible because we don't get to see her as often as we would like. She's just about 25. She's got a career in her own life. But what that means is very busy in preparation of that. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, Amy, about the last couple of podcasts when you shared about your lack of celebrating your own birthday, because that was something that was never really modeled to you. Mm -hmm. So when you are reparenting yourself around that and learning to treat yourself and celebrate yourself a little bit more. The reason that um, I make such a big deal out of birthdays, and I do every year, Cliff is surprised by something that I do, and I love it, and I think about it for much of the year, (laughs) (laughs) how I'm going to celebrate him. 
And the reason that I do is because I, I do have a mom that did such a good job on our birthdays and she made oh. us feel special the whole day through. That's wonderful. So she used to make most of our clothing for us. And the first thing that would happen on the morning of our birthday is that I would open up the closet and there would be like a new birthday outfit hanging there for me, mm. <laughs> which is probably why I still love clothes to this day so much. And then the whole day was excitedly awaiting the birthday party that she would throw. And we had a lot of different traditions. When I got home, the house would always be decorated. She would always make a theme cake, like it was the shape of a bunny or a cat or something like that. And she would make these special hot dogs with cheese and bacon (laughs) 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 because the hot dog wasn't enough. Right. Pork. Um, and she would dye our milk different colors. <laughs> <laughs> and she would lead great party games and all the kids in the neighborhood would come. And I have the greatest memory of that. But what I feel so grateful about is that she gave me the gift of celebrating myself and having a day where I felt really special. So I really wish that for you next year. Yes. I'll have to start thinking now how I want mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Spend my day next year. I think that would be a great idea. Yeah. So that's me right now in overwhelm. And I know we were planning to talk about burnout and overwhelm today. So it fits quite well. You've shared with us that experiencing some pretty severe burnout in your career as a registered nurse working in very busy and chaotic emergency rooms were part of the reason that you knew that you had to heal. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that, Amy. So you brought up the state of overwhelm that you're in right now. And I think maybe we could visit that. Um, I just want to offer you two things around, around your week. Because you did say, you know, these are all beautiful things that you're working on and they're exciting and inspiring, but there's still things that can create overwhelm. I wanted to offer, is there anything, not the things that are inspiring or the things that are coming up this week, but anything else that you could edit? And you don't have to answer, um, but just think about that. Is there anything that you could edit off of your plate that you would normally do? You know, so often we try to do all the things that we normally do. And then we add to that list. So you're doing all the housework, all the teachings that you normally do, all your classes, doing all the things, and then you're adding extra things this week. Mm -hmm. And so when you have moments like that, or periods of time like that, where you are adding to your list of to-dos, even though they're awesome things, could you edit out something else um, maybe this week, whether it is a class that you teach this week, maybe getting a sub or asking your husband or your daughter to do extra chores around the house. Or, you know, some weeks it might be bringing in help um, as far as like cleaning the house or, you know, it depends on your budget or what's, and I'm offering these not just to you, but also to our listeners, but just where could you get creative in your list of to-dos that you could delegate out to somebody else so that you don't keep adding new tasks, but as you add a new task, maybe something else gets sent to a, a different person to do. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think also is really looking at the thinking that is 
causing this overwhelm? Because especially when you talk about keeping a house a certain way, that's that's me. That's my beliefs. And it's a challenge for me to sometimes let go of that. And I'll I'll give up on sleep to just stay up and fold that laundry and 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 clean that. And I, yeah, I'm pretty fortunate that I'm able to ask my husband and my daughter to help me out on these days when I'm not home as much. It is incredibly wise to ask, what is it that I could let go of? Or what's also helpful is for me, and tell me if you can relate with this, for me in overwhelm, I'll get more overwhelmed when I think of everything I have to do all at once. Right. And I've learned that this is this is how our brains work. We'll have a thought, I have so much to do. And then okay. our brains our brains will go, Yes, you do. Like this, 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 this. And then it feels so heavy. And then we meet this big full day feeling heavy and almost in a in a you know, in a lower state of mood, which makes it harder to get motivated to get all this done. So I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. I'm on to myself. I question why I can't let go of this, that, or the other, and why I feel like I have to do it all myself. And and if I'm going to be completely honest with you and myself, I know that there's some underlying belief that if I can get it all done, then somehow I'm good. You're already good, and we already know that you can get it all done yourself, but why take that on when you don't have to? Mm -hmm. You know, the the why, I think, is is a big question, too. Why do you want to do it all yourself? You might be telling yourself, well, if I don't do it all myself, then I'm not good. Or some people could think, well, I need to do it all myself because nobody can do it like I can do it. Or look at me, look at all that I'm doing. You know, I do all these things, but the end result of all those scenarios is you're still overwhelming yourself. So really trying to create a schedule that feels very attainable, very doable, has some space in it for nothing. Um, We try to pack our, our schedules with a thousand different things and trying maybe to build in a little bit of space, looking at your schedule for the next week. And if there is no space in it at all, could you then really try to edit something out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gave that to myself this morning because today is, it's just the way it is. And it's, and it's all great stuff because I do love the things that I do. And a lot of the things that I do doesn't feel like work. But I did have that gym workout scheduled for an hour before speaking to you. And instead, I did a little bit of grounding yoga. I had my meditation and I did that Vata pacifying uh, self-massage. So I did offer myself a little bit of space. I think the answer to the question, why do I like to do it all? And I, and I get a lot of help. I'm, I'm really fortunate in that we're a real partnership in my marriage and in this family. I honestly enjoy, it's something that brings me peace to bring order to our home. I think I have that in common with your husband. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. It brings me some peace to make things beautiful around me. And I know that that's something that I keep doing because it makes everything else that I'm doing just a little bit easier. I can come from it from a place of peace. And I also make sure that I'm doing just little things in the morning when I have overwhelming, really busy packed days because 
I want to feel the best that I can feel during these days. And if somebody's interested in that, I, I go and into some pretty good detail in a couple of blogs that I've written. I write this warrior to warrior blog, as you know, and I have one called Sacred Morning Better Day and one called My Morning Non-Negotiables. So there are just a few things that I will definitely do in order to support myself. Mm-hmm. But I think when it comes to overwhelm, mm-hmm. it's also important to ask ourselves what thoughts are driving this behavior. Why are we driving ourselves so hard? What are we telling ourselves that we should do and we shouldn't do? So those why questions are great. And I have been sitting with them, Amy. And yeah, thank you for that reminder. Yeah. My other offering to you is coming from a place of compassion for yourself, that this is for a finite period of time. Um, It won't always be this busy. And to see past this week and maybe create a little bit of extra spaciousness next week, if it's possible, if for no other reason, just to have blank spaces on your calendar that are periods that are unscheduled to balance out this week. You know, with Vata, we're always looking for balance and we're always looking for restoration and predictability and routine. And if this week is, is, you know, very busy and very active, looking forward to next week where maybe there isn't as much as you would normally do. Maybe you would do less next week than you would even do on just a normal week. Yes, I like that idea. And that that is the way the calendar is shaking out. And there's lots to look forward to. And we both know that we can always choose where we place our thoughts. And yesterday, where my thoughts were was, we're stressing me out. Okay, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Putting a big deadline on myself. My husband is always telling me that I put way too much pressure on myself and there are things that I could let go of. And today, is it like this for you at the beginning of the week? Sometimes the quality of my thoughts are more constricted and a little bit more stress inducing. And then as the week goes on, as the week opens up and I make my way through it, I start to feel more spacious in my mind and it's easier for me to create those kinder thoughts that make me feel a little bit more easeful. Yeah. And you've accomplished, you know, as the week goes on, you've accomplished so many things that before you accomplish seem daunting or overwhelming. And then as you're checking things off, you do create that sense of spaciousness in your mind that that those tasks are behind you now and you have more to look forward to. What's your schedule like these days? Do you have open spaces on the calendar? I try to. My my schedule is very busy and full of things that inspire me and support me, but I can push the limit as well. And I can feel it when I add just that one more thing. And then it just kind of sinks the whole ship, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> You know, I could do a hundred things, but when I add that that one hundred and one, it can really kind of tip tip the boat, if you will, um, on my entire week, my energy level. And so I can, and I and I know when I'm doing it, and I know, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't add that thing. And I'm having this conversation with myself. But yes, my schedule is busy, and I've been trying to be much more aware of my energy level. Because I moved through recovering from burnout, I, 
I don't ever want to go back to that space. And so I have some clues where I'm doing too much may look different for other people. One of the things is how long has it been since I've gone to the hairdresser? Mm -hmm. So if I haven't, if I'm noticing that my roots are coming in or they're overwhelming me and I'm putting that off, oh, I'll just wait till next week. Oh, I don't have time this week. Oh, that can wait. That's one of the clues to me when I am doing too much because I do like to go to the hairdresser. I do like to get my hair done, but I always push that envelope a little too far. I don't make that a priority that starts to go down on the priority list as I'm adding too many things to do to my calendar. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. a, that's one of the clues to me like, Oh, you are overdue. Why is that? I think it's pretty typical for a lot of us that will set aside what we need for ourselves in order to accomplish everything else. And sometimes I treat those appointments, hairdresser, acupuncture, body work, I'll treat those as little rewards for accomplishing some of the things that I wanted to do to move the needle on my goals and my dreams and my passions. Do you ever do that? I do. And I... I made a commitment to myself when I, when I came through the other side of burnout that I wasn't going to deprioritize those things anymore, that those were going to be preventative maintenance for me, body work, acupuncture, going to the hairdresser, yoga classes, meditation. Those always fell to the bottom of the list mm-hmm. when I was doing too much. And I worked with a coach he was a business coach and he asked me to create what's called a death list. And I was like, what is that? And he said, I want you to create a list of things that would cause you to shut down your business Mm -hmm. to kill it. You know, because so many entrepreneurs or um, coaches or teachers, they pour everything into their business. They burn themselves out. They, aren't attending to themselves because they are creating something. And his advice to me was genius because so often entrepreneurs or startups or businesses, they work 24 hours a day. They um, sleep, you know, five minutes at a time. They ruin their health. They bankrupt themselves. And he was coming from a place of wanting every business to succeed and every entrepreneur to flourish um, and not kill themselves in the process. And so he created a death list of what would kill the business before the business killed you. And one of the things that I put on there was if my schedule started to interfere with my health and he said, well, that's too general. You have to, you know, be more specific. And so I said, if my business or my schedule interfered with my sleep, Hmm. I'm not going to stay up late. I'm not going to get up, you know, at, you know, some obscene hour, which I are, which I do now naturally, but I wasn't going to do it for the business sake. I was, if I was going to get up early, it was going to be because for my own enjoyment. And he found that very interesting that sleep for me would be, if my business was interfering with my sleep, I would kill the business. And I said, I went years not sleeping you know, it was one of the detriments to my health and my emotional health, my mental health. And so sleep now was one of the number one things that would interfere with my business. And I don't know that you would hear that if your business was interfering with your sleep schedule, 
would that be a problem? And they probably say it always interferes with my sleep, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. sleep and overwhelm and sleep and burnout are intimately connected. So if I could offer that to anyone feeling overwhelmed, really look at their sleep. Are they staying up too late? Are they scheduling stuff longer and longer in the day? Are they writing too late at night? You know, oh, I'm so inspired. I'm so inspired. I just want to write this down. Um, And then... Um, Are you talking to me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe if that's what you're doing, but it could be offered to anyone who's doing that. But, you know, you can say from a creative standpoint, oh, but I need to do this right now because I'm inspired and I'm, this is flowing out of me. That's a very Vata characteristic. Vatas will become inspired by what they're doing. And then it's two o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and they are still writing and they have no concept of what time it is. You have to put very specific boundaries around creative Vatas. You can be creative, but you also have to go to bed. And that can be very hard because they can feel like the, the spark is lit. I'm on fire right now. And maybe have a process for that, a notebook next to your bed or a final creative dump at the end of the day of where you're just journaling all the things to get them out of your head. But having that bedtime, no matter what, if your vata is unbalanced or what we call vata deranged even, you need sleep. And you can do all the things during the day, but you have to go to sleep and you need more sleep than usual. And when vatas are on fire and vatas feel very creative and they don't want to sleep, there's so many things to do and there's so many things to read and there's so many things to write. And there's, um, so it's kind of counterintuitive for a vata to feel like, I don't want to go to bed, yeah. but, but that's what they need. They need bed and they need more. I definitely know that about myself. And as I get older, I realize that those Vata tendencies, they're not serving me. I know that they never did. But yep, last night I stayed up pretty late because I wanted to give myself extra time today. Although I did have a limit on it and I just went about a half an hour past that limit. So much better than it was. But yes, that's good advice. And I know that if I steal hours from myself and stay up late because I'm inspired and things are on fire, then it'll take me a couple of days to recover and I'll have a couple of days where it's harder to feel inspired and I'll feel my emotions will be darker and they won't support getting a lot of things done. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens in overwhelm as well. That's when I'll be more vulnerable to not sticking with nutrition that serves me. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'll be more vulnerable to sweets and overindulging in sweets because it's like I'm looking for that energy and the comfort in other ways that I'm not giving myself with space. Mm-hmm. Well, in sweets, the sweet taste actually balances vata. So you are craving sweets because on, on some level, your body um, knows that that's what may balance you. Mm-hmm. So vatas are balanced by the sweet taste. So when your vata is imbalanced, it, craving those sweets more is you're compensating for that. And that makes a lot of sense. And it's not a bad thing. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, now I just want sweets all the time. No, it's actually because your vata is needing that sweet taste, that nourishing, loving, grounding taste to kind of bring it down a little bit, which is different than how people look at sweets. I'm not talking about like straight sugar either. I know, I know. 
the whole sweet taste, um, natural, naturally sweet foods. Now give some examples of some ways that we can get sweets without going and eating a box of processed cookies. You know, definitely fruits and vegetables. Also grains are a sweet taste for vata and certain meats as well can be, can be considered sweet in the Ayurvedic sense. What do you think of things like dates and honey, mm-hmm. and maple mm-hmm. syrup and those kind of sweeteners? Yeah, all of them. They're naturally, you know, they're a natural sweet taste that is really good for vata. And you've mentioned burnout a couple of times, and that's what we wanted to go a little bit deeper in in this conversation. So tell us a little bit more in your experience. How do you define burnout, Amy? I define burnout as you have depleted all of your resources to get all of the things done that you have either put upon yourself or have been put upon you, that there is a imbalance between what is needed and what you have. Burnout can be short-term or it can be chronic. For me, it was chronic burnout. When did you start to notice that this was what was happening for you? So I come from a long line of workers. My family history has taken a lot of pride in success or how hard you work or your, your position in life, how much money you make, how much money you have in the bank, and has put that at the top of the definition of success. And so that's kind of the family that I was raised in, that you could always work harder that yes, you did well, but yes, but, you know, you could do more. I was taught that at a very young age. You know, my parent-teacher conferences were always, I always dreaded them. And I was a great student. I did very well in school and I dreaded the parent-teacher conference because it always seemed like the teachers would have to throw in something. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, oh, she could... You, she could be doing more of this or she could be, you know, doing more of that. And I went to a Montessori school. Hmm. And so there was no real defined end point of what you could learn, which was great for children who are very self-driven or very disciplined. You know, they really thrive in that because they can study topics that are very inspirational to them and they don't ever tend to get bored because they can just keep going on a topic. We, we didn't have grades. And so the, our evaluation of how we were doing was much more subjective because it wasn't, everyone wasn't defined in the same um, Mm -hmm. manner. So my teachers would always have a offering of, well, she could be doing more of this. Well, then my parents would latch on to that, what I wasn't doing and I could be doing more. And so that was kind of ingrained in me at a young age. What did that look like at at home as far as your homework schedule and what you needed to do around the house? Oh, Oh, okay. We didn't have a lot of homework. And in Montessori school, you don't have a lot of homework unless you choose to do it yourself. And a lot of students did choose to work on projects at home, but we were given freedom during the day to get everything we needed to get done. So that homework concept was a little bit foreign to me when I went to high school. The work that I did at home, like I always had a job from the time I was 12, I was babysitting and making, I really was inspired to make my own money. And so I always had a job very early on, whether it was babysitting or 
working, you know, I was a receptionist at a vet's office, I think when I was 14 and I worked um, in a container store. And so I always worked outside the home as early as I, as was allowed, which I think legally was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was making money before that babysitting. And so I had a very busy school schedule during the, you know, during the day. And then in the evenings I would typically work or on the weekends I would work. And then I was pretty much responsible for most of the upkeep of the house. If not 75% of it, I would say a good amount of it. My mother worked full time and then some, my mother works a lot. Um, she always had two or three jobs and my father is a business owner. He owns his own business. And so they were very, very busy. And then they adopted a child with special needs. And so they were very busy with him as well. And so a lot of the housework fell to me. When I would list my chores, like my friends would be like appalled. You know, I was responsible for all the laundry of the house. I was responsible for doing the floors and the bathrooms and the kitchen and sweeping. And, and I remember from a very young age being tired, like coming home and being like, and then seeing my chore list and being like, exhausted already when I saw the list. And I don't know if it was a tool to kind of keep me busy and keep me out of trouble, but I don't remember a lot of downtime being allowed. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Like, how did your family chill? How did your family have fun and take it easy? Was there ever any programs that you'd watch together? Do you remember anything like that? No. We didn't vacation together. I can remember one vacation that we went on. I think I was like in fourth or fifth grade and we went to Key West and I got, I got sunburned so bad. I should have probably been in the hospital. Like it was, I peeled for months. Like I swelled up like a balloon. As you can imagine, I was miserable on that vacation. And because I was miserable, I was deemed kind of difficult. not difficult. Difficult's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, we never went on vacation again as a family after that. Oh, and did you, did you internalize that that was your fault? I didn't just internalize it. I was kind of told that that oh. was, that that was the case that they didn't want to go on vacation with me because I was kind of like a pain in the ass. <laughs> and looking back on that, I was a pain in the ass because I was suffering Mm -hmm. and you know, that has taken me a long time to mother myself into wholeness around. Um, so downtime, we didn't spend downtime as a family. They did continue vacation. Um, but it wasn't with me and (laughs) they would go on, on vacations and I understand their need for vacationing. They vacation a lot. Actually, they still do. I understand their need for vacation because they were working so hard and having, you know, a child with special needs that my sibling did, you know, needing that respite and that time. But that was really never offered to me. When you moved out, did you know how to relax? Were you looking forward to that? Did you take some time off? Did you vacation yourself? What did it feel like to you if you just decided to watch some television? What was the inner dialogue saying? You could be making money right now. Hmm. Um, that was the inner dialogue. And I left home the day I graduated high school. So I was really seeking relief as well. 
um, from that from that environment of always having to be on and never to relax. Like there wouldn't be a time where I would feel comfortable just like lounging at my house, you know, or taking a nap or having my friends over and just, you know, hanging out. That wasn't really the type of household that we had. And I ended up getting pregnant in high school. And I think part of it was I was ready to start my own family and try to do it. I wasn't ready on a, on a cognitive sense or, mm-hmm. you know, to, I certainly wasn't ready to start my own family from a financial sense, obviously, but I think I wanted on some level to create my home life the way that it would support me. Now getting pregnant in high school does not decrease your stress level. <laughs> or decrease the amount of hours that you are going to need to work to support yourself and your family with a high school degree. Yeah. So I set myself up for a continued existence of working really hard and working long hours, you know, to support our family. And I wanted my own home life, you know, one that I could feel comfortable and at ease in and, so I had my children very young. I had my two daughters right out of high school and um, started to create my own life, but f- still had that dialogue that there's always more you could do. You know, there's always more you could do. There's always more work you could do. There's always another degree you could get. Um, yes, but you could get your master's. Yes, but you could get your PhD. Yes, but, you know, and so never really being allowed to just kind of marinate in your, your success or being told like, you are already good enough, you know, where you are, you are already good enough where you are. That was not something that was a very foreign concept to me. Mm -hmm. So I was always trying to work harder, work more, make more money to somehow become quote unquote successful, but not really defining what the end point would be because Yes, but there's more you could do. And so years and years and years and years of chasing that ideal really brought me to my knees from burnout because there was never going to be an end um, until I said enough. And when you were creating your own family and you wanted to do it your own way, did there end up ever being time for chilling on the couch and cultivating relaxation with the family? You know, that really started to happen when my daughters were maybe eight or nine, where I was done when I had finished school and I was established in my nursing career and I felt like I could take a breath. Then I was able to really enjoy hanging out with them, really enjoy having their friends over, like kind of recreating what I wanted for myself that I didn't really get. I'm so glad. you know, having sleepovers, you know, having their friends over and having them just play and do what they wanted to do that was easeful and joyful. And, you know, so I really did kind of get to experience that as their mom, you know, creating those experiences for them. I really look back on that time with a lot of joy that think about them and their friends playing and playing their music and watching movies and staying up late and they would take all the mattresses off the bed 
off the beds upstairs and they'd slide them down the steps <laughs> into the living room. You were and the cool mom. You were the cool mom that let them play <laughs> on the mattresses. All right. Yeah, we did take the mattresses down. Yeah. And that was like a week, a weekly thing, you know, that they would take the mattresses and fill up the living room with their mattresses. And we'd have just this big comfy space and we would watch movie after movie and we would eat. And yeah, so I really, I did get to experience that after after I became a mom, I experienced what that looked like and what that felt like. And, and that was very healing for me. Mm. You continue to nurse and you continue to work in emergency rooms. Do you remember a moment when you realized I can't do this anymore? And what did that feel like in your body? What was going on in that severe burnout situation? It felt like there was no light like no joy. Everything was covered in like kind of like a gray film. Um, I can remember not laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, that I just felt like covered in a, almost like a black and white movie. There wasn't color. Things weren't colorful. It was just like slogging through the day okay, here's another day. It's Groundhog Day. I'm working in a position that doesn't bring me fulfillment and joy anymore. I'm working so hard because that's what I've been told all my life I need to do is work hard and make more. And that's how you create stability and safety. And that's how you are a good person. (laughs) And so I would pick up extra because more money meant safety and security in my mind. I would pick up all the extra hours because that was me being a good person providing financial stability for my family. And not that we were on the precipice of instability, you know, that wasn't the case. It was just more is better. Mm -hmm. And being told by not just my family, but my administrators that another degree would be ideal so going back to school on top of working full time and raising two young daughters, I, you know, I went back to school a couple times and that's a lot college level and studying things that what weren't really lighting my fire anymore because I was being told that that's the degree I needed to have. And my physical health was suffering. I was tired all the time. I wasn't attending to my sleep. I was eating on the run. I wasn't eating good quality foods. You know, I was gaining weight, which in proportionately to what I was eating. So then I was talking negatively to myself that why are your clothes getting tighter and tighter and you know how we talk to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Things were just kind of slowly eroding for me. I wasn't living this vibrant, joyous life. I didn't really have things to look forward to anymore. I never planned vacations. I think my husband and I went five or six years without taking a vacation just because we never made it a priority because there was always something, something else that we were doing, you know, pushing that, that space and time for rest and joy down to the bottom of the list. Mm-hmm when we would take a vacation, it would be such a eye opening, awe inspiring experience. And we never wanted to leave. And we'd be like, why don't we do this all the time? I don't know. Why don't we do this all the time? I don't know. And just never planning. Like we never made good plans for 
creating those moments of joy and happiness and celebration. Like celebration wasn't on the, on the calendar. Things would pop up and I, and I wouldn't realize, oh, there's that concert I want to go to, but it's tonight. I would just see it like at the last minute, like not looking for, actively looking for things to do that would bring me joy because I, I was so far deep in the life I had created for myself that I wasn't aware of all the other things around me that I wanted to, I wanted to do. You've done such a great job of painting a picture of the kind of beliefs that were driving these choices and this behavior. And you've mentioned a couple of the thoughts that sprouted from those beliefs that caused this behavior as well. And I think it might be helpful if we played with those thoughts a little bit and kind of show how we work with our own thoughts and how we question our mind and how we ultimately, our goal is to try to cultivate this warm, sort of kind inner landscape that supports us. You've definitely said that in your mind at that time, there was a lot of thoughts driving you on. More is better. Working hard makes me good. And so we know that now when we are thinking these thoughts that are driving us on or terrorizing us or criticizing us, first of all, we can remind ourselves that the thoughts that are coming up in our brain are meant to help us to survive. So even though we need to manage them and question them, those thoughts that are coming up are all around thriving and surviving. But it's very helpful to say, all right, you know, thank you, inner dialogue, for, yes. for letting me know that you want me to work hard and you want me to thrive. However, is it really true that working this hard is what makes me worthy, is what makes me good? Even just the act of being able to be aware of the kind of thoughts that we're having and then just take a moment to question them is something really powerful that you and I do that you and I have learned. And so let's play with this a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. I think it might be, might be helpful. Sure. When you were thinking, working hard makes me better. Working hard, working all the time, well, that means that I'm good. I'm being, I'm being a good girl. I'm being a good citizen. Mm-hmm. If I would have asked you then, is that true? What would the answer have been? If you had asked me at that time, I would have said, yes, it's true. Okay. This thought work originally, we learned it from Byron Katie, but I've tweaked it a little bit in order to help find self-compassion along the way. But the next step here when we're managing our thoughts and questioning our thoughts is to say, okay, well, what's happening when you're thinking that thought? And I'll bet some version of that thought still comes up because if you're like me, they're deep some scars. They're these deep grooves. And especially if we're busy and we're tired, we can fall back into them. And it's important that we catch ourselves with these thoughts. When you're thinking working hard makes me good or a memory of those thoughts come up, how is that thought making you feel before you catch it? Like what emotions are coming up and what kind of behaviors are you moving to in order to cope with that? And how are you treating yourself and how are you treating other people? So when I think that thought, I would look for more opportunities to work, whether it was picking up shifts or, you know, trying to be the star 
employee or not taking time off, feeling guilty when I would take time off. I never took time off. So behaviors around that, looking for opportunities to work harder, work into the next position, working, you know, striving for promotion, always checking my paycheck, you know, like how many hours did I work? Like obsessively looking at hours worked versus my self-worth. So what emotions are coming up with, I'll be good, the harder that I work. If I work hard, then I'll be good. What, what kind of emotions are you dealing with? I would have anxiety of meeting all these benchmarks I'd set for myself, having a state of constant overwhelm, sadness too, that I had a, a chronic level of sadness around it too, because there wasn't joy in any of that. And I wasn't cultivating joy for myself. And I knew on some subtle level that this existence wasn't what I wanted for myself. And so there was sadness there as well, that this is, this is it. This is all I'm doing. I'm just working and, you know, being sad for myself. Mm -hmm. And we've learned that when sadness comes calling, sometimes that's a request for releasing something. So, I mean, I can imagine that if I were to ask you, all right, what, what needed to be released? You've done a lot of that work. Mm -hmm. Expectations, um, expectations that others had set for me needed to be released. Um, mm -hmm. How's that going? Has, how, <laughs> where, where are you on that path? I mean, this is, this is a life work. This is, and I'm totally resonating with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's a work in progress. And I have really become my own advocate and my own cheerleader. I'm in my corner, mm -hmm. you know, where I didn't feel always throughout my life that somebody was like, Oh my God, you are doing so good. Like, look at you sitting on the couch doing nothing. That is awesome. Being there for myself in whatever state I'm in. It is a life's work of releasing others' expectations for me because I felt very confused about what I should be doing with my life. And I was just listening to everyone else, really, because I didn't have a really solid foundation on what was really right for me. And so then I just thought, well, they're telling me I need to do this. I need to work more. I need to get another degree. I guess that's what I should do. And, but I was the one doing the work and I was the one getting the degree. So I was the one expending the energy really uninspired. So can I ask you something that we ask our clients, our students at our retreats? Yeah, absolutely. Close your eyes. <laughs> okay. What if you did not care? about what other people thought. Who would you be without a thought of meeting anybody else's expectations, anyone's? It's nice to use the power of imagination to really think about who we'd be without those limiting thoughts. If you honestly could not think, you couldn't even consider what anybody else ever thought of you or expected of you, what would life be like? So you're going to make me cry. <laughs> it's okay. 
You're doing so good, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So when I lift all those expectations that I feel like have been layered on me, I just return to this sense of joy and light and freedom and the allowing of all of that to be without any other requirements. There's a youthfulness to that. I feel sad that I lived for so long without that. And, and I think that's really the core of it is I still grieve for the years that I wasn't able to find joy and I wasn't able to be light and feel free. And I have returned to that. Um, you know, my life is full of joy now and my life is light and inspired and, and there still is grief there that, mm-hmm. I grieve for myself that I had to live like that for so long. And I'm so thankful that I don't live like that anymore. And I grieve for others who are still stuck in that. I just think of myself at a young age, you know, as a child, before I was told that I wasn't good enough the way I was, or I needed to be something different, or I needed to do more than I was, that I wasn't good enough or the yes but you know, and I want to go back to that and just be like, oh, baby, you are just perfect, you know, the way you are. And I am able to touch into that now. I am able to find that. And I have gotten very rigid almost in protecting that part of my life, protecting the joy inside of me and the happiness and the light. And, but there is still sadness around thinking about the times of my life where I didn't have that. I feel so honored that you're sharing your process with me here like this. And yeah, you're doing it. You touched into that part of you that is vibrant and mm-hmm. and free and already good enough. Yeah. That was that was so helpful for me when I was healing disordered anxiety is to touch into the part of me that's never been afraid. And I love this idea of when you have those thoughts because you're still going to have them and I'm still going to have my own brand of what I need to do in order to be good enough to be able to think of that aspect of ourselves, that higher aspect, that that part of ourselves that is compassionate and already knows its worth mm-hmm. to soothe that younger version of ourselves because that's, that's really all that it is. The voice is, is us too. It's not only important to purify that voice and to shut it out and to lock it up, but to realize that this is a young voice that learned a lot of lessons before growing up and realizing what's right for us now. Mm. And to use the compassionate voice to soothe that younger voice and say, I understand why you feel this way and I understand why you want me to act in this way and what you're warning me against. But Mm -hmm. guess what? You're already good enough. And you inspire me and all of our students because I know 
you have the cutest little picture of little Amy in a special place in your room and you see her all the time. So when you notice that your inner voice is getting hard on you for perhaps not doing enough and not making enough, mm-hmm. if it's hard to be nice to yourself, you know that you can always be nice to her. Mm-hmm. I wish that, that little Lisa could invite little Amy to the birthday <laughs> parties. <laughs> Yes. Well, we do have parties when we get together. We have dance parties. So, Yeah. Well, we do a lot of that. We do a lot of caring for ourselves now and reminding ourselves to do that. And listen, it's a daily reminder. And that is exactly what our morning practices are all about because we wake up in the morning and it's not just the mind that has a habit. It's our bodies that have a habit as well. Our bodies will have habitual emotions. We might wake up in the morning and feel confusingly sad. Or for me, I feel a lot of shame first thing in the morning. And then my mind tries to make sense of why I might feel that. Oh, you shouldn't have eaten that yesterday. Or what did you eat yesterday? Or what did you say yesterday? Or what did you do yesterday? There are things that we can do in the morning in order to overcome habit. That's this work that we're doing in the world is questioning our habits and questioning the voice inside that doesn't support us and offering ourselves most importantly radical self-compassion and we chant about this in what we teach radical self-compassion is again and again forgiving ourselves for not measuring up to the impossible to reach Mm -hmm. idealized version of ourselves that we think we have to be in order to be loved and we all have that idealized version of ourselves that we're pushing and forcing ourselves to be, whether it be by what we achieve or how we look to others. And the problem is we're not going to meet those expectations. And when we don't, that's when we treat ourselves badly, not just in our mind, but some of our habits and some of our more unskillful behaviors. And I'm talking about myself, how many deals I break with myself when it comes to nutrition or how I might spend my time because I've succumbed to not being able to live up to who I think I need to be in order to be good. Yes. I would invite anyone to do that practice with their young one, you know, like I do with the picture that I have in my bedroom because it still is a daily thing for me. And like you so, you know, eloquently said about how things come up and the expectations that we put on ourselves or that are put on us that are put on us and starting my day with that non-negotiable of having that conversation with myself as a young child that you are already good enough, you are already successful, you are already everything that you need to be. You know, I would invite anyone to visit that practice before any other interruptions, before any other dialogues, whether with your loved ones or yourself or your phone or your email or the outside world to solidify that conversation first. That has been one of the most powerful practices for me in healing myself and then creating structure for myself that honors play and joy and rest and kindness Mm -hmm. because the other stuff really gets in the way. And we're worthy enough, not just for rest and play and joy, but we are worthy of taking responsibility for our lives. We are worthy of taking responsibility for how we treat our bodies and Mm -hmm. how we treat our bank account, you know, for 
Some of us have the opposite behavior when our inner dialogue starts to criticize us. Instead of working even harder, we become immobilized. And Mm -hmm. that's something that happens with me. So we're worthy of taking care of our money. We're worthy of vibrant health. And we are worthy of the job that we want and the life that we want. We Mm -hmm. are innately deserving of all of that. That might sound like woo-woo, but if you strip everything else away, that's it's just the truth. It's the truth. You absolutely deserve to be supported and sustained and nourished. And that does require a job usually um, for most of us. And that is part of taking care of yourself. Like you said, part of taking care of yourself is making sure that your needs are met. And I think there's finding that balance of all of your needs, making sure that all of your needs are met, not just the financial or the occupational, but the emotional and the mental as well. Mm -hmm. It might even be helpful to take a moment and think about what do I need? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you really need? Yeah. And when you talked about the practice that your business coach offered you, uh, it reminds me of a practice that Rod Stryker, Yoga Rupa Rod Stryker offered at one of his workshops. He had us write some eulogies, what we would like to have been said about us mm. at the end of our lives. And that also gets you really clear about how do you want to spend your days and how would you like to be remembered? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Amy, you are doing great uh, I <laughs> from the bottom of my heart. Yes, I know. I know I am. And I feel that I am. And we have to forgive ourselves when we slip into old patterns because that's just part of being human. But Mm -hmm. there's a way that we can show up to our essential humanness and have so much more kindness and compassion for ourselves than we previously had. And that is such a game changer to be able to respond to the voice and say, I, okay, (laughs) I... (laughs) I got you. Yeah. Noted. But we're okay. We're okay right now. We're doing great right now. Yes. Yes. A good place to end. I agree. Go be great. Me too. Go get all your stuff done on your... (laughs) I'm worthy of getting my stuff done. You're worthy of getting your stuff done and you also are worthy of rest and joy and open not doing the laundry today yes open spaces on your schedule i love you i love you too thank you for listening to the radiant warrior podcast if you found it valuable please leave us a positive review to help others find it and please check out the radiant warrior podcast on instagram and facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next